Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels. Our guests this episode, we've got Mike Hayner and Jeremy Smith from Linder Media on the show this week. We've had Jeremy on before. This is our first time having Mike Hayner on, so it's really fun to get to know Mike. Uh, Just a couple of fish heads. This particular conversation really just revolves around and highlights a really cool project that these guys did. Uh, They kind of spearheaded it, collaborated with the Minnesota DNR uh, to study barotrauma in crappies. There's a video out there that's really, really cool. We, we reference it a lot in this show, so if you haven't uh, seen it yet, either go over and watch it now or right after this podcast. Head over to YouTube, the Angling Buzz YouTube page, and look up the Crappie Barotrauma Study, and, and you'll see it there. It, it, it's really educational, just a great visual learning tool to educate us on a barotrauma. And, and this study, a lot of this research is ongoing. There's, a, there's, there's more to do. Um, just to, to learn a lot. But, you know, I think barotrauma and talking about barotrauma has been around for a long time. But with forward facing sonar out there now, we can find these basin fish that are in deeper water. We're just more proficient at, at, as anglers of finding and catching these fish. But, you know, we really got to be responsible about it and think about uh, the conservation of it all. And I think that this particular collaboration is very unique, uh, very trend setting. I mean, in outdoor media, you know, things that are more controversial or, or you know, just a little bit like hot button topics in a lot of media in the past, it's, it, it, you know, it, it's easier to just avoid that stuff. You know, we talk about barotrauma a lot in the media, but very few, there's very few uh, examples of it really showcased and to talk about, to educate people. This is really one of the first things of its kind, you know, from a media standpoint. And so I think that, uh, you know, there's just so much good that can come from something like this where we're just educating people and you know like i said this day and age forward-facing sonar more proficient anglers um you know we're just we're learning so much more and this is an example of that forward-facing sonar you know uh, you know we want to help people understand that they got to be responsible in these situations but it's also you know it's forward sonar uh, you know is a real champion just helping us learn all these things and uh, giving us an opportunity to do studies like this. And so, you know, just a, just a great all-around conversation with Mike and Jeremy and uh, getting their some of their behind-the-scenes stuff with it and just a lot of great, cool, you know, just cool, cool conversation here. So, again, really, really enjoy their time. Jeremy Smith, Mike Hayner from Linder Media. We're talking barrel trauma. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Devils Lake, North Dakota. Devil's Lake is one of North Dakota's premier outdoor recreational destinations. And to find out more about what the lake and the community of Devil's Lake has to offer, head to devilslakend.com. That link is in the description. Everybody listening to this podcast has a passion for the outdoors. Wouldn't it be great? Or have you ever even thought about how great it would be to live and work in and around like-minded people, making a difference, contributing to the resources that you love so much, The North Dakota Game and Fish Department is hiring. If you're just starting out, if you're looking to build your resume, seasonal wildlife and fisheries technicians are the perfect way to gain experience and spend the summer with cool people just like you. If you're currently sitting in your office, you're sick of staring at the same four walls, enough is enough. Join a team of elite outdoor conservationists and become a district game warden. If you or somebody that you know needs to learn more about these opportunities, head to the link that is in the description of this podcast. That's gf.nd.gov slash 
jobs. Uh, I don't very often have two people on at the same time. So like I said, I'm looking forward to this and just seeing how this goes. we got a lot to talk about, um, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun and educational uh, starting it off though, Mike, I got to bring you in first, Mike Hayner. I've never had you on the podcast, so I got to get to know you a little bit. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Uh, what's a little bit of your fishing background? Sure. Yeah, no, I'm, um, I grew up in, um, North Metro of the twin cities, Forest Lake, Minnesota, um, started fishing when I was young with my dad, probably four or five years old, been doing it ever since it's my favorite thing in the world to do. Um, I actually went to college to my goal was to be in the Minnesota DNR and do fish management. So I went to the U of M and got a a bachelor's degree in fisheries. Um, When I got out of college, there was not a lot of work available then. So I started working for a book company called the hunting and fishing library. It was a a series of hardcover books back in the 80s and 90s um, done in Minnetonka, Minnesota. Dick Sternberg was the writer. And uh, so I did that for 10, 12 years, um, learned how to shoot photos, went in the field, took pictures, did stories for books on fishing. And then uh, when I was there, Bill Linder was working there. And Bill's the oldest son of Ron Linder. So when we were done working there, he sort of started his own uh, photo business. I went with him um started doing photography then and fishing photography more books magazines what have you uh fast forward to now and billy and i moved up to brainerd about 17 years ago to work for linder media productions when they started up broke away you know sold in fish and started their own company and billy and i just have been working here ever since doing photography um filming tv shows um everything fishing related um so i started when i got up here working with jeremy we were doing fishing covering fishing tournaments for a number of years and then we got a besides angling edge we got a gig with lund fishing boats doing a tv show for them called the lund's ultimate fishing experience and i've been working on that for 10 years sort of field producing and filming and working on that, making sure that making sure that show gets done and then helping Jeremy out with ice stuff and edge stuff and just anything fish related. So, and I guess from that point where I got into the biology stuff was the Minnesota DNR, like I'd say what, 10 years ago or so they started having uh, doing some interactive groups with stakeholders, you know, fish and uh, hunters and anglers around the state to get input on specific species. So they, for instance, have a largemouth or a bass group, pike muskie group, a walleye group, and a panfish group. So they would pick 20 or so stakeholders like me or Jeremy or whoever, and we would get together like quarterly or twice a year to talk about panfish fishing issues so you know it was kind of neat to have get all the details from the minnesota dnr biologists and researchers and then you know one of the things that came up was what are some things you as anglers would like to see in the state of minnesota and a number of subjects come up like how can we grow bigger bluegills or what's wrong with the perch populations or you know stuff with crappies and barotrauma kept coming up from a number, not just me, but a number of people. There's a, you know, a few other fishing guides, Jeff Sundin, um, 
I'm trying to think of a couple other guys in our group right offhand, but we, we, we brought up barotrauma being an issue with, you know, ice fishing and crappies and killing fish. So um, the subject matter just kept coming up and um, we decided to figure out a way to do a study on that. And I, it wasn't just me, it was other people in the group. We all kind of combined on this, but I sort of pushed to, you know, us to film it from our perspective at Linder Media Productions is to be something they would do the study and we would film it and so that we could show people. So we collaborated with them um, on what the best ways to do, you know, they weren't even sure how they would do a study on it. So we had a number of different meetings on how can we physically do this study? So that sort of came about finally, and we made a plan last fall and implemented it last winter and did, went out and did three lakes. So that's sort of where that, that's where that's at right now. So, yeah. And you know, yeah, I love that. We're, I, I can't wait to kind of dig into this a little bit and Jeremy as well, you know, with, uh, you know, how you guys got involved on the media side and, and, and being passionate anglers, like I'm just really excited to hear about that whole experience, but getting back to what you're talking about, like, you know, kind of being a liaison and consulting, being, you know, a, a part of the, the group that gets together with the Game and Fish. You talk about that, like, in the meetings that you were in, why do you think barrel trauma keeps coming up? Well, um, yeah, I, I think a lot of it came about because, um, you know, crappie populations in our state are in much better shape than the bluegills were. So after we addressed the bluegill and got the quality sunfish an issue to put on here where they did a bunch of lower limit lakes around here. Um, the next thing with crappie was, well, everybody knows that, especially here in Minnesota, we have a lot of smaller lakes, like 300 acre or less lakes that are really good crappie lakes. But in the wintertime, those fish are often found deep and they can get pressured really hard. And, you know, we just know from experience that like you catch fish, out of a certain depth of water and you just, they won't release. Right. So it's like, well, how many fish are actually dying? So I think it sort of got accelerated when we started getting, when forward facing sonar came into the mix, it was like, okay, we got these little lakes and you know, they're sometimes those crappies can be hard to find, but when people find them, they can beat on them pretty hard and how many fish, people are catching like if okay i'm say me and jeremy go out and catch 30 crappies and we only want to keep 10 we throw 10 20 back how many actually are living or dying right so you you know the question is what how deep are they can they not go down it and are dying at anymore so we thought well now with forward facing sonar in the mix the fish can't hide right i mean the crappies you can go out with forward-facing sonar on a small lake like that and it isn't if you're going to find them you will find them and okay so you put that factor into everything now these crappie populations are going to be get hitting harder and harder by people and how many how many fish are actually being caught and released that are dying so how many fish are we killing so we um and the dnr was like more than open to doing it they just weren't sure how to study it so we sort of keep kept i guess bringing up the forward facing sonar aspect of it because a lot of the um people in the group didn't even know what it was or didn't realize how effective it is it was like i guess one of the guys said is 
you know, when you're talking about forward-facing sonar, you know, first we had flashers, then we had underwater cameras, then we had maps. You know, they, each time you're getting technology, you're stepping up a notch. Is this just another notch step up? And Jeremy and I are like, no, it's like 10 notches up, right? It was like, you're just like fish can't hide anymore. So now we're going to be targeting or exploiting these fish that in a lot of lakes were probably never fished for. So, and then anglers as they will be go out and you know they like catching fish and like how many people are going to go out with their kid and you know catch a limit of fish and leave it's like oh this is fun let's keep catching fish and they're coming out of 35 40 feet of water it's like yeah we went out and caught a whole bunch and threw them back and it's like well how many did you actually kill by doing that and that's what we wanted to figure out so that's sort of how we push this all forward in the dnr People that were involved with us, John Hansen and Dave Whitesell and Jeff Reed and all the guys I worked with, they were really, you know, instrumental in pushing this forward and making it happen. So we kind of came up with a plan, like I said, to figure out how to, to do it. And that's where we're at. Jeremy, I want to bring you in here. Like when you first got involved or, you know, you're probably, uh, you know, hearing these conversations, part of these conversations from the get go, like thinking back to the beginning conversations about actually filming something like this and putting it together, you know, on the media side of things, what were you thinking? Like, what were some of the more interesting elements in your mind uh, that you thought maybe were going to possibly come from it in the beginning? Well, I mean, I, I think it's a, a, from a media perspective, I think it's a pretty hot topic that a lot of anglers have interest in to begin with. And, you know, we've been talking about barrel trauma and targeting fish even prior to forward-facing sonar thinking that it you know it can be a, a real concern and but how, you know how do you how do you manage that how do you how do you deal with it and really you know just saying that you know all forward-facing sonar or catching fish in deep water is going to be the end of crappy fishing I mean is it really I mean we do need to quantify that so I think this was a great pilot project to look at some of those questions and try to understand you know what what the effects are and I think you know it, it really seemed to be like what we would expect you know not not every fish you catch out of deep water is dead, but a lot of them are in, in pretty rough shape. So, um, you know, just having the opportunity and the platform we have to educate people about that topic, because fishermen want to have good fishing in the future. There, there's no doubt. And, uh, you know, with technology today, it can get a lot easier to catch fish, but it can also be a lot easier to really, you know, wipe, wipe great fishing out if it's not done responsibly. I think the media thing, like you said, it's it's interesting. It is a hot topic, and you've been in the industry long enough that I think this is kind of an interesting sort of thought or conversation to have that, you know, like you said, barotrauma, it's been talked about forever, um, or, or, you know, it, 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 barotrauma isn't like a brand new word. It, typically in media, you almost try to avoid it. It's kind of a hot button thing. You, you know, you catch a fish uh, on a television program and the eyes are bugging out. Um, you know, it's kind of a weird deal. Like, like if anything, maybe avoid it or when it's talked about, you, you kind of talk about, uh, without showing it, but yet you guys to educate people, you actually have to do it. You actually have to go out and show barrel trauma. You have to actually intentionally go get that barrel trauma, like show it off to learn about it. Like, did it ever cross your mind that that was kind of, that that's kind of a weird thing, but that visual learning is so important when you're trying to educate people. Oh, it is. Yeah. Just to, yeah, just to, just to show people what it is. And, and uh, you know, that uh, really looking at those deep water fishing situations is a harvest opportunity. I mean, that's kind of what we've 
tried to do here is that there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with keeping and eating fish, you know, and crappies that, you know, they, they seem to do pretty good. So if you want to go out and catch a few fish to eat for sure, but don't look at it as a recreational opportunity. And I think um, in that video and a couple other videos we've done, we've shown a, a, a good, good job of what the signs look like. You, you mentioned bulging eyes. You see a lot of bleeding or capillaries bursting in the mouth or, or around the gills. And, and so those are signs that a fish has barrel trauma. And if you see that, obviously you're fishing fish that are, you know, suffering from it. So it's probably worth getting the fish you want and get and getting out. And also knowing that different fish, I mean, we don't know how different fish respond to being caught from different depths entirely. There's still questions to be learned there, but also, you know, I, I have a soft spot for muskies in particular, and I'm really concerned about people seeing giant fish out in 30, 35 feet of water and catching them and how, how well are those fish releasing, you know? So I, I, I think it's, it's great to open the conversation and coming, you know, circling back around a forward facing sonar. It is a, a game changing technology, but it's compounded with, you know, take the crappies, for example, if you know that crappies are in a deep basin, now this mapping technology is so amazing from your couch, you can look at a lake and say, well, here's the deepest basin. Let's just go right there, drill in the middle of it, drop our transducer down, pan 360 degrees and find out where the fish are and then just drill holes and stay on top of them. So it's really simple to do, but you know, that mapping component makes you be able to find where they will likely be at. And then you combine that with the, with the technology and it's just, it's crazy, man. It's just, it's so much easier than it's ever been. Yeah. Yeah. I like, you know, one thing I like there, I like that you brought up, you know, barrel trauma isn't specific to crappies, right? It's like you brought up muskies, but you know, it's unrealistic to go and do something like this with muskies because to show barrel trauma, you have to, you know, you have to showcase it. You're not going to go out and catch, you know, uh, 50 or 80 muskies and risk all them. I mean, it, what a a pretty reasonable example to go out and catch, uh, catch crappies, um, you know, for this particular project. But, but you know, it's not uh, you know, across the board, just, this isn't just a crappy conversation, right? Like hopefully people can connect the dots and, and maybe learn something about barrel trauma, but it, but understand, apply it to their own situation and, and, and realize that, um, this isn't just specific barrel trauma just doesn't just attack crappies, but you know, go, going back to Mike, you're kind of, you kind of got that, that science background, um, for you, what do you feel like, were some of the more interesting things like, like at what point in time do you feel like you had a smile on your face that, you know, some, you know, some real information was being showcased here to educate people during this process. Anything interesting at all? Yeah. I mean, it, it, a lot of it went the way we thought, I guess I would say, but some, there were some surprises. Um, I think when Jeremy and I went into it, we were, you know, we're always talking like, you know, what's your guess about, about and, and our gut feeling was always somewhere in that, you know, 23 to 28, 29 foot of water was where we were, you'd start seeing trouble with releasing fish. And, you know, this is early into it, but after doing three, three lakes and two of them were on the shallower end, it sort of narrowed down that depth to where, you know, we don't have a depth right now. We can definitively say, we'll hopefully know more next year, but, um, you know, it was pretty ballparky where we figured it would be. But a couple of the interesting things was one, uh, we didn't do it in the video, but we did it as an aside out there. And the one lake we fished, we were, the water was 42 to 44 feet deep. The fish were in 28 to 30 or 32-ish, 30, that they were coming up out of. And we had 
were able, there was a, it was a big school of fish. So we were able to get our 50 fish pretty quickly. So before we were done, we just thought, Hey, let's, um, everybody talks about fizzing fish. You know, you hear about fizzing walleyes and fizzing bass out of deep water. Let's, let's catch five more crappies and fizz them to see what happens. So we did that. And when we came back the next morning, um, all five fish were stone cold dead at the bottom of the, of the net. They weren't, didn't make it. So, you know, we're guessing, you know, they came up out of whatever 30, say 30 feet of water, but because they didn't have a swim bladder now there, you know, it was, it was punctured. They just sank like a rock and they probably sank into even more pressure than that they were in. So it probably killed them. So the, the DNR guys with this were just like, yeah, that's not, you know, that kind of answered a question here anyhow. So I think for, you know, it's not to say it won't work on other fish, but for sure, I think on crappies, it's the little mini test we did was a pretty good, you know, telltale that it's probably not the best thing to do. And then the other thing was um, we had always heard a lot of anglers say, well, if you, you reel them up really slow, you know, then they can make it back. And so when we were, doing the study one that was one of the things we were doing with the nets is okay so we caught these fish in deep water and quite a few of them that recovered swam back down to depth well as we're pulling the net up to check them we can't just pull the net up or we're going to give them barotrauma again yeah yeah so so we had uh I think we did 10 minutes an interval, maybe it took a, at, at least an hour. Yeah. yeah. So the net was in five foot segments. So it's like, we'd pull up five foot of the net um, every 10 minutes just to, you know, to be sure. And it, it's still, when we started getting, we got to the bottom of the net at the last segment, like there was like two segments left, the fish that were down there deep still, they, they just always, we didn't have to get the net up. They all floated back up. So we basically, kind of gave them barotrauma again, you know, when we brought them up. So the, I think the reality of people saying just reel them up slow or even, well, I saw the fish in, it's 45 feet and the fish is 30 feet down. If I jiggle my bait up to 20 feet, then he'll be okay. That's still not true. It's like if you're catching a fish in that deep of water, it's not going to do good no matter how, like Jeremy always said in the videos, he goes, it would take about, you know, an hour and a half to reel the, the one fish up for it to release. Okay. So you, you, that's just not an option. So that's sort of a fallacy. I think that people think you can reel it up really slow and they'll be okay. Everybody listening to this podcast has a passion for the outdoors. Wouldn't it be great? Or have you ever even thought about how great it would be to live and work in and around like-minded people, making a difference, contributing to the resources that you love so much? The North Dakota Game and Fish Department is hiring. If you're just starting out, if you're looking to build your resume, seasonal wildlife and fisheries technicians are the perfect way to gain experience and spend the summer with cool people just like you. If you're currently sitting in your office, you're sick of staring at the same four walls, enough is enough. Join a team of elite outdoor conservationists and become a district game warden. If you or somebody that you know needs to learn more about these opportunities, head to the link that is in the description of this podcast. That's gf.nd.gov jobs.
Devil's Lake, North Dakota is one of North Dakota's premier outdoor recreational destinations. We talk about the fishing all the time on this show, but to find out what the lake and the community has to offer, which is way more than we ever talk about on this show, you can head to devilslakend.com and get all that. We're talking about the lodging and restaurant options and just the lay of the land and everything going on in the community. There's all kinds of stuff all summer long going on in and around the community of Devil's Lake. Also, our favorite, the fishing tab. It's going to give you real-time fishing reports, directions to fish cleaning stations and boat landings and shore fishing piers, which are awesome, by the way. Also, it's going to give you a list of options for boat rentals or guide services and bait shops. Everything that you need to plan your next adventure in Devil's Lake is at devilslakend.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. Is that really the end goal? Is that even possible to establish a specific depth for anglers to know and understand that barrel trauma happens at this line below it uh, or not at all at this line below it? Is, is that even possible or is that is that really the goal to try to find that that number for everybody uh, to sort of go with or, or how to how to you know, how do we attack that? I, you know, I think ultimately it was it's just like for us as producing tv shows you know we wanted to be able to say hey if you're out here fishing and you're catching fish out of you know deep water if they're below x amount of feet deep we're not saying you're killing every fish but we're just saying there's a pretty good chance that a bunch of the fish you're catching are not going to make it they're going to you're going to be killing them so um, and then, so if you have that baseline depth, if you go deeper than that, so the, I guess it would be the deeper you would go, the worse it would probably get in our minds. So it would be good to just have a number that we can say, Hey, you know, you as an angler, you're going to go out fishing. And if you're catching crappies out of this deep of water, you know, don't look at it as, as like Jeremy said, a recreational opportunity. It's like, get your, you know, if you want to, we're not, I mean, we're not against keeping fish at all, you know, on our shows, you know, we throw a lot of fish back, but actually all of us in the office keep and eat fish. I get tons of grief around here for being the fish killer. And I do <laughs> like to eat fish and keep my fair share of fish, but it's like, I just want the average angler to say, Hey, I'm going to go out to Lake X. The fish are in the 45 foot basin and they're all 30 to 35 feet down. I'm going to go out there and, you know, if I'm going to keep my limit, that's fine. Keep your limit, but then leave. Don't, or go somewhere in shallower to fish. You know, don't think you're going to sit out there for the whole day and catch crappies for fun and catch 30, 40 of them and let it go. Cause you're, you're probably killing a lot more fish than you think you're killing. So. Yeah. 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 If that yeah. makes sense. Oh yeah. I mean, <clears throat> Jeremy, from, you know, from a fishing standpoint for you, you know, you know, sort of just continuing on with what Mike was just talking about. How, how does this kind of, you know, you know, you guys doing this, this showcasing this and, and having this on media, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really impactful with, from that visual aspect, you know, it's not something that Wikipedia is teaching us anymore. We're not, you know, there's more facts happening now. Um, you know, then, then, uh, you know, just, you know, the average Joe's talking at the bait shop thinking they know what's up, you know, th- there's some real learning going on here. So how do you feel like 
this or how do you hope this might change, you know, people just, just anything to kind of continue on what Mike was just saying, talking about, um, you know, people's understanding of it all. Well, I just, you know, I just hope people start to, you know, respect those populations of fish that are out in the open a little bit more. I mean, that's just kind of one of the things that, uh, forever in fishing, it was, you know, you're casting at the shoreline if you're in a boat or you're jigging weed edge through the ice and you look behind you and you wonder what could be out there, you know, and a lot of that mystery is gone now with forward facing sonar. So, you know, you know, you can see what's out there. You can see where the fish are and they're, they, they're really easy to find with that technology and, and pretty easy to catch. So I guess I would just hope that people are re- respectful of those populations that, you know, was once a sanctuary. Now it's like the easiest place that you can, you can go out and catch them. And I'm not saying the crappies in the basin were, were a secret, but I mean, swinging your flash or transducer under the hole, hoping to catch a glimpse of fish that might be off to the side is far different than being able to, to just say, okay, go over here, cut a hole 30 feet from me at two o'clock and you land on a school of a hundred fish, you know, and, and having guys go out there and say, yeah, you know, we had to do a lot of sorting, but we got our, you know, we got a nice limit of fish that were 11, 12 inches, but we got a lot of eights and nines in between. I mean, you just want to, it's like, Hey man, we got an eight inch crappie out here. Well, that's just part of your limit. Right. And one of the, that kind of brings me to another part that I think uh, hopefully we'll be looked at a little bit more this year as well Is like, this is crappie specific, but how does the size of the fish impact the, the effects that barrel trauma has on that individual. So I think that will be a, a really cool thing to, to learn as well. And hopefully it'll go into other species also just to see how, you know, different size fish handle it, different species of fish handle it. And uh, yeah, just, uh, just know if you love fishing, it can be a really easy opportunity and there's a lot you can learn from forward facing sonar. I'm telling you, it's, it is an amazing technology. I use it. So I'm not saying I'm against it, but just to be responsible with it. Yeah. Do you, do you have any assumptions about what that, you know, what might come as something like that? You're talking about, you know, the, the size of fish, like, do you, do you, do you assume that the bigger fish are more durable? Um, or do you feel like a bigger fish would just fight harder and fight itself to the death more? Like, like, do you have any predictions on that? Um, I just guessing though, but I mean, you know, I guess when we went into this, you know, crappies are probably, I'd consider what more, more of a fragile fish than like a walleye or a bass. So, you know, they're a little tougher to figure out, but it's like, I, I guess my gut feeling is that if we do this, we're going to see that the bigger fish survive better than the littler ones because they're stronger and can are able to swim back down better. But I, I'm, I don't want, don't hold me to that. It's just, right. but that was one thing the guys in the group, the, the science, the biologists in our group from the DNR wanted to check. That was one of the parameters. It's like, well, okay, let's see, you know, let's add that onto the list of how did the bigger fish do to the smaller fish and see if that is a difference, you know. And then another thing we talked about possibly doing is we're, you know, with the forward-facing sonar is, you know, catching some fish and releasing them not in a net, but, you know, do a handful of them at a study or more and, and have a couple of units there. So when somebody catches a fish and instantly releases it, we can watch them with that sonar to see where they go. And I think we did it like real, real small sample size mm-hmm. on that one lake we caught, we were done. We had two hummingbird live mega lives out there. We pointed them from different angles at a hole. We let three different fish go. And if I remember, I, one fish swam, 
right down to the bottom, got in the group of fish and we never seen it pop back mm -hmm. up. And it was a bigger fish. And then another fish swam down, got down about 10 to 12 feet ish, 15 yeah. feet. And it stayed at that depth for not very long, like 30 seconds or so. And just eventually popped back up under the ice and we couldn't find it again. And then the third fish, we let it go and it swam down about five feet and it popped up under the ice. And we, you know, again, it was off to the side, so we couldn't find it, but we never did see it go back down again. So that was, you know, three different fish with three different, you know, things happening. So yeah, it sort of, it sort of confirmed, you know, what we thought that it's like, not every one of them is going to die, but you don't know. And more, you know, more than likely they're going to be affected by it. Yeah. 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 And from a conservation standpoint, as anglers, let's let's just be decent about this and definitely err on the conservative side for sure if we're in those questionable scenarios for sure. Um, so what's the status of this, uh, you know, this study going on right now? Like like we're kind of coming into this ice season. You guys did some projects last year. Um, you still have some more uh, uh, videos or anything like that to release from last year? Is there more stuff going on this year? What's the status of it? Yeah, I mean, we don't have we haven't done anything yet, but ultimately the goal is to do um, two or three more lakes, three or four more lakes, something like that, and try some in the deeper range and then uh, extend out these parameters we talked about, you know, the size of the fish using forward facing sonar to see how it affects them. And we were even talking about possibly leaving them in the nets for more than 24 hours to see if that makes a difference. So one thing the biologist say is you know a, you know brief brief little history on the fish like whitefish lake trout the trout and salmons you know they have a different swim bladder connection than the um, centrarchids the bluegills the bass all those fish they the trout and salmon can you know burp air whereas like the panfish and bass can't so they have to dissolve reabsorb reabsorb into their system the to make their bladder go down so you know the thinking is the longer they sit, the more it'll they'll be able to regulate the gas and get and swim back down. The, the question is, you know, it's going to be different in a net versus like if just think about if a, you catch a crappie and it's really cold out and you let it go and it swims down but can't go down and pops up under the ice. You know, how long will it take that fish to, you know, regulate the gas to get back down before it's frozen into the ice underneath, you know, when it's just laying under the bottom of the ice. So I guess we wanted to see if we left them in the net for an extra day, maybe would that give more of the chance to go down or is it, does it matter? I guess our initial looking at it, it, it was hard to tell because, you know, they were, um, most of the fish we caught that did survive that weren't, you know, stone cold dead, the ones that were alive, but still on the surface to us, they didn't look like they were going to make it anytime soon. Wouldn't you say? I mean, they were so weak, you know, from being floating and trying to swim down, but not being able to because they were too blown up. So I don't know if that's going to matter as much or not, but it's just another parameter we were thinking of checking, I guess. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that sounds interesting. I mean, because again, you kind of want to eliminate some of these arguments or some of these knucklehead arguments of like, you know, that that would maybe go against it, you know, or people that might 
find a loophole to justify, you know, like like Jeremy would say, the recreational fishing out in these situations. Because it's really, hopefully, for most people, that's not how they might see it. Um, but, uh, you know, along those lines, I do want to talk fishing, at least a little bit. I got two fish heads <laughs> on the line, like... Like, uh, you know, when you guys were out there catching all those crappies, you had a bunch of people involved and all that sort of thing. Well, like, like, what was the fishing like? How long did it take you to catch these fish? Did did you guys have to break down a bite? You know, like, what was the best setup that day? Like, I want to hear a little bit about the fishing. Well, to me, this was pretty remarkable. So going into it, you know, they, they kind of said, well, we'll bring a bunch of folks because we're going to need a lot of anglers and some time to make sure we get, you know, 50 fish. And I don't think, I mean, it was just like, it was probably an hour, yep. you know, a little over an hour. so, you know, to get 50 fish, you know, with, with that technology, again, it's just like, we had somebody commanding the forward facing sonar, somebody drilling, and then you're placing anglers in the holes where the fish are. So, I mean, you look at it from a, like a, a well-refined machine, you know, if you're a guide something like that you can make quick work out of you know out of catching crappies it's just like i need somebody drilling over here i need the anglers to be in these holes okay the fish shifted 30 feet this way drill so i mean it was just like drill catch and it wasn't like there was any you know i mean crappies can be finicky but it just seemed like get a lure near them i mean there was hundreds of fish in the school so it wasn't it didn't require any real finesse fishing it was just drop a jig and a plastic down and reel up a real upper crappie was, was pretty much what it was. And I kind of look at that too. I mean, obviously there's, there's a lot of nuance with, with angling and certain ways to catch them. But I mean, you look at this, if you are that, if you're a, a guide and I don't mean to pick on guides here, but I mean, if, if I've got a group of five capable anglers and I'm a guide, I can go to a basin here and just say, all right, I want you guys, I want your, I'm going to run the forward facing sonar. I'm going to have you drill and I want you four guys to fish and then we can rotate out and you could make catch a limit of crappies really, really fast and then go do something else with your day. And you can repeat that over and over and over. And you think about the volume of fish that can be removed from fisheries with that system. I mean, it is remarkable. And we were never able to do that before when you're just drilling holes, hoping the school would come by you or, you know, you just never, somebody just never stops cutting and hoping to land on them. Now when every drop, is in front of a fish. I mean, that's, that is a real game changer. I got one for you. I think it might've been interesting to be there or maybe, maybe it's not at all, but you know, like a lot of the, you know, like the people that work for the state department that you guys were collaborating with, some of them you knew really well, but um, you know, like, like when you, as anglers coming into this as the angling perspective, um, you know, and expertise and, and bringing this technology to the table, do you feel like the people involved, you know, that work for the DNR were maybe a little bit educated from, on that, you know, like from that aspect, like you said, you know, they bring a bunch of people. we got to bring a team if we're going to try to get this done today. You guys were like, well, you know, we're going to have this done lickety split. Like, like, do you feel like there was some education on their side of things? Big time. Huge. Yeah, there was there was varying degrees. So there was, you know, our crew was out there. We had four or five from our crew. And then the DNR uh, local office brought five or six people. So we had probably 10, maybe 10, 12 DNR people out there too. And they had varying, you know, degrees of uh, angling experience. Some of them were hardcore anglers, some of them fish casually, but there was quite a few of them there that had heard of forward-facing sonar or not 
uh, or had not used it or had used it once or twice, but weren't super familiar with it. And yeah, I mean, I mean, a couple of the guys I know were just blown away. They were just like, couldn't believe what they were seeing. Like, Oh wow, this is good to see, you know, <laughs> like we had no idea, you know, we were just thinking, Oh, it's just another electronic device that helps the anglers out a little bit. And, um, you know, the fact that we were able, they were like, wow, we got our 50 already. Really? We're, like we're done already. We got 50 fish that quick. And, um, so that it, it was an eye opener for that. Um, yeah. And I, and I don't want to make it sound like, you know, like Jerry was saying, the forward facing sonar is, you know, I'm not trying to portray it as bad as say we use it. It's fun and it's awesome. And, you know, it's still fishing, right. And you still have to, besides finding them, you still have to make them bite. Right. So it's like, it's not always easy, but, in, but I think with the crappies in the basin, you know, most anglers will tell you if you find them, you're, probably going to catch them i mean that's just the bottom line so and it, it's if you just stay on them long enough they are going to bite so i think the success rate of catching crappies in deep water like that um is the the, the percentage of success is pretty high based on whether you like if you're in the shallows and the weeds or whatever where they're moving around i mean you can just they're so easy to stay on because they can't hide they're just in outer space out there and they're just, you know, which way did they go? And you can always find it, but you do still have to make them bite. But I, I still, I guess the bottom line is you just need, we, we just hope that people won't take this as we're picking on them or anything. We're just trying to make people aware of what's really happening out there. So they, you know, we'll do the right thing. So we have fish to catch in the future. And so, cause I, I mean, I, our worst case scenario is like, we have a couple of little lakes around here that are really good crappie lakes. And if you get a bunch of people on them two years in a row, I mean, you can call down the better sized fish in two years to the point where you, you just have a population of little fish that need to grow back up. Right. I mean, that's the bottom line. So, you know, we don't want it to get to that point. I think the key to keeping lakes good is a healthy size structure. You know, if you're, if you keep calling off the biggest fish, in the lake every year pretty soon you're just down to a whole bunch of little fish that just can't grow big enough because they keep getting caught so it's like just you know the ultimate goal is just to keep a healthy fisheries is our goal right yeah 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 and you know you know talking about that forward sonar like you know, something like this, when, you know, when we get a couple of years removed from it and we find out what it all means and just how impactful it is, which I think is going to be very impactful in many ways beyond what it's even intended for talking about, um, you know, the collaboration with the DNR, you know, something like this, where, you know, the, the right people uh, are getting a front row seat to the angling experience, um, you know, that, that really educates them that that could really affect, you know, some internal meetings and discussions when they're talking about regulations and, and just having that experience with you guys, uh, could very well have impacted somebody, um, already, uh, that could have some really positive effects. And, and, you know, talking about forward sonar, you know, to some extent, that's the real champion in all this, you know, it's not, you know, it's not, um, you know, talking, talking down about it, like it's, it's going to be trouble. Um, you know, it does come with responsibility, but without it, you know, look at how much we're learning because of it. And something like this, um, you know, you look at forward sonar is going to be the real champion at the end. Again, like I say, years ahead, we look back, there's going to be some, probably some pretty impactful, you know, meaningful education that comes from this. It's going to kind of, 
you know, be one one more, uh, you know, sort of badge of honor for the average modern day angler that's more educated and more into con, uh, conservation. And, and, and it, you know, we're, we're just one step closer to all having that, like you see, you know, the intentions that we just want to maintain uh, great fisheries for years to come and generations to come. And, you know, the forward sonar can definitely, you know, uh, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. But yeah, I, I agree. It's it's not it's not a deal to bag on anybody or tell anybody not to have it or or you know try to regulate anybody's opportunities with it. But the education is really where it's at, and uh, you know, in the end, the, what we learn from it uh, can, in some ways, you know, be the champion in all this. I mean, I I guess that's just you know, how I might take it, but I, I, I like hearing your guys's intentions behind all this and hearing some of the backstory and, and just kind of what happened on the ice sort of behind the scenes and that sort of thing. I think that's really great stuff. And, um, and, and knowing the great intentions behind all this, um, you know, and, uh, I think the visual, I think the the fact that you guys were, you know, essentially brave enough. I mean, it probably didn't feel that way. Like Jeremy being in media forever, like, you know, you know what it's like to be in front of the camera and have critics, right? Like, like the, you know, barrel trauma is something that was talked about a lot, but you almost kind of avoided ever really showing it because it was something that would, you know, just give you really mixed, uh, you know, critiques and it could just really spawn some really weird conversations that really didn't have a ton of backbone. Um, but I think showing it that visual learning and being brave enough to go out there and catch a bunch of fish in deep water with the right people there. And, you know, you're articulating some good science. I don't know. I mean, I just, I feel like there's so many takeaways, um, for me and I appreciate you guys having this conversation for Mike here, kind of a little bit of a closer. I got, I got a closer for you too, Jeremy, but for Mike, you know, um, you know, hearing a little bit about you in the beginning of this, talking about when you went to school, you're a young guy and you had all these, you know, ideas that maybe you're going to be a career man at the DNR. And then you got into media of all things like, uh, you know, you paying the, uh, paying the student loans, um, you know, taking pictures with Billy Linder. It doesn't sound all bad, but it probably wasn't what your intentions were. Does this feel like, you know, maybe there was other projects, but does this feel a little bit like a full circle moment for you? Like being kind of having that science background, but you're in media and now you're totally involved in something really cool, bringing it all together. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's a good way to put it. I sort of do. I've always been, you know, Jeremy's got a biology background too. So the two of us doing it when we figured we could um, bring a little biology into it, as opposed to just catching fish, I think it just, it made me feel better about things and I think people appreciate it and not a lot of people want to do it. Right. It's, it's kind of a, just, it's easier to just talk about how to catch fish. So it, it, it makes me feel good. And I think um, a lot of anglers out there like to see it. They, you know, they don't ask for it, but they do like to see it. So it's, it kind of makes, makes you feel good showing it. I, I was going to make a couple of quick things since you were on the subject too, but like the biologists we were with, um, a couple of takeaways too was um, they were looking at it as a way to um, as something they could do to help actually help them in their job now being, you know, the, like the, the offices around here, the regional offices around here of the DN, the fisheries, they're actually purchasing forward facing sonars to help them figure, to figure out how to help them to study fish better for their job. 
you know. And then oh, yeah. also, um, they've all since we've been doing this piece. I know one of the guys um, told me that he's been getting calls from other states and province and Manitoba province about. They heard about the study and they want to know how to take it on themselves, and they're like. Like kind of open the door to them, you know, giving them a, a reason to do it in their states as well. So it's kind of been, that's been the coolest thing for me is to hear that other biologists in other states have seen this happening and they want to do it too. So they can figure out stuff in their state. So it's kind of a, a good feeling, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah, man. Jeremy, I got a little bit of a closer for you. We got to talk fishing a little bit like, um, you know, we're talking about this specific, like, basin, the Barotrauma crappie project here. What do you think? Should we should we just sort of mention maybe some shallow weed crappies just to give everybody an understanding that there's an alternative? What, what would be a cool bite or a little, like, five-minute um, fishing tip that you could give everybody for this winter? Well, obviously, yeah, the, the weed line bite is is a, is a thing that, that happens, you know, crappies, bass, everything else. But, you know, back to that probably... Now that we're on forward-facing sonar, I mean, one of the big takeaways even seeing last year, we were just looking at a piece we did on bluegills and how much of the lake habitat is used by different fish. You know, you look at a lot of those basins that are 10 to 15 feet deep, and it's just mud. It seems like absolutely nothing, but there's so much life in those areas as well that uh, there can be crappies and sunnies and just a ton of life that are scattered about in those basins that now you can you can find and they're not so deep that you're that you're killing the fish either so it's not just like the fish you know we used to think the fish are in the weeds or they're in the deep basin well often they're actually in between as well and there can be great schools of crappies great schools of bluegills so if you don't want to fish deep water you're struggling to find a good bite in the weeds a lot of times go look at those areas of the lake you look at a map years ago and say well this is just a big open nothing this mid-depth flat that has absolutely no features and should be void of life well a lot of times there's big schools of fish that are out roaming those areas that's it man to totally end this out like um what have been some of the questions what have been some of the feedback i mean i'm probably not asking you all the questions that matter here like what have been some of the interesting conversations you've had since you started releasing this the information in this project either of you guys i don't know you can look at each other uh as who whoever wants to answer it or maybe both but like what have been some of the cool comments what's been some of the cool feedback that i'm not asking here yeah um that's a good question where we've actually you know for the most part i would say 85 to 90 percent positive feedback i mean most people are either like good glad to see it you know we've known most of us have known this all the time but nobody wants to say it or you know they're questioning um just having more questions like you did about depth and size and fizzing and all that and then a lot of people are asking can we continue doing this with other species you know there's a lot of other bites out there. Like, well, I'll use just one as an example. Um, you know, Lake of the Woods up on the border there gets a ton, a ton of fishing pressure in the wintertime. And, um, you know, a lot of the fish are being caught out of 30 plus feet of water. And a lot of them are little saugers and smaller walleyes. And, you know, people will go out and rent a house and they'll catch, you know, a house will pull in 50 to 100 fish a, a trip out there. And it's like, well, are they killing them? You know, are they killing 
all those fish. So a lot of people have been asking, can we do this with other species? And I think that's something that's, you know, could be down the line in the future. I know the, 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 the DNR guys we work with are like, yeah, you know, we, we probably will do that. Cause I think, you know, while, you know, ultimately all of us have caught a, a walleye by accident in 40 feet of water and it's the same as the crappies their heads exploding basically it's like well this one's not going to live so what's the what's that the line of the depth for a walleye what's the line of a depth for a bass you know you got the bass guys down in the south now they're catching what are they catching bass out of 50 and 60 feet of water i mean oh, yeah. you know what i mean it's like what is are they living or are they not so i think that's what some of the positives that hopefully will come with this as we can apply it to other species of fish that are susceptible to barotrauma. So, yeah. Yeah, man. No, I think that's great, man. Jeremy, has there, you know, anything that we're leaving out that you found interesting or some good feedback or just a conversation that you feel like uh, has been meaningful that you've had since it released? Well, one of the other questions we, we have, you know, and, and so take crappies out of it, but let's just say you catch a giant walleye, not even a giant walleye, say you catch a five, six pound walleye that you don't want to keep, or you catch a 42 inch muskie or a 40 inch north, whatever it is. And uh, it, it's experiencing barrel trauma and the fish won't release, right? It's just staying on the surface. Um, it might be a protected slot fish. There's nothing you can do. So are you better off? Should you just leave the fish? on the surface of the water or can descending devices be something that might actually be a very useful tool. So I'm not saying this is the answer and if you should target fish in deep water because you've got a tool to release them, but inevitably, I mean, it's happened to me plenty of times. I'm sure anybody who's fished plenty has caught a big fish that just won't release because it has barrel trauma or something's wrong with it where the fish appears healthy, but it's really bloated. It can't right itself. It just wants to sit upside down. And I carry a tool in my boat to be able to get fish when that happens back to deep water it's rarely used but it's a great tool to have and a forward-facing sonar have seen the fish you get them back to depth and they appear to swim away and you can follow them around with that tool and it appears as though they're doing well do they all live is there delayed mortality i don't know but it's certainly better than leaving a fish on the surface to have the gulls eat it you know or an eagle pick it up and eat it so you know are, are, are there some things that we can do uh, you know, just like having bolt cutters and hook, good hook extractors, things you can do for handling fish. Could this be another tool that might help us in those situations if we encounter fish with barrel trauma? Right on. Right on, man. Well, man, I really appreciate your time. I, you know, I, anything else that I would want to ask you would probably take us down another hour long wormhole. So, um, yeah, I really, uh, I'm glad that we were able to put this together and, and, uh, I, you know, part of me was just, you know, I, I just wanted to reach out to do this just to sort of highlight it. And just, you know, if there's just one person that listens to this that hasn't already seen your video and gets over to see it, I think that that would be a win for me because I, I really support it. Um, you know, I, I love watching that stuff. I like being a more educated angler. Um, and, uh, you know, just, just everything that goes about it. I think that, uh, I think that it's a really good message and good information and all those sort of things. And, and I enjoy that the visual learning, it's definitely, you know, something that will just stick with me a little bit better. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I guess I just really appreciate having you guys on, uh, for this, but yeah, I guess, uh, we can close her down if you guys feel good about it. Um, 
I would say I'd like to finish all these off with uh, maybe, you know, just uh, where can people find you if they have questions? Um, you, know, uh, you know, Mike, you can start your social medias or just promote, um, promote any of the media, anything that you want to promote, man. Go ahead. <laughs> well, you're talking to the wrong guy. I'm, I'm not a huge social media guy. I'm on Facebook, but um, yeah, we, we have a lot of different channels here at Linder Media. I mean, you probably know them better than I do, but we've, we're on Facebook, Instagram, um, YouTube. YouTube. So, um, you know, any questions, you can send stuff there um, and, you know, ask that way. Yeah, and for reference, that video that we were talking about with the crappie barrel trimmer, that was on Angling Buzz. So that's uh, Angling Buzz's YouTube channel, and our, it's also on our website, anglingbuzz.com. So Linder Media, we've got Angling Edge, Angling Buzz. Of course, Mike produces the Lund Ultimate Fishing Experience. is another great place to look at some of the content that, uh, that we produce. We do another show called The Canadian Experience. So there's a lot of different fishing media that we put out there, and, and uh, it makes our jobs pretty fun. Yeah, we get to... I- Everybody tells us that we got the greatest job in the world. We get we get paid to fish, right? So yeah, right. you know that we we get paid to fish, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Not really. But. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like I I feel like I hunted and fished way more before I had this job. Like there's just something <laughs> funny about that. But no, man, it's great to be immersed in it. I I, I definitely I love. Um, you know, everything that working in the industry has, uh, has provided for me just cause yeah, I mean, we're passionate about the outdoors and the things that we get to do and, uh, to be involved in it. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that, uh, if any point in time in my career, I was able to be involved in a impactful study, you know, something like that, a big collaboration with the game and fish. I just think that, um, I just think that stuff is really, really great. And what, uh, you know, the industry, um, you know, just with the media, we do a lot of things. We wear a lot of hats. Like you say, you talk about being producers and photographers and you host shows. You have, you know, ideas. You, you know, you sit in on meetings with the game and fish. You're always wearing lots of hats, you know, uh, working in the industry like that for, for uh, as long as you have. But it's, uh, you know, when you can do something that's pretty cool like that, uh, you know, it's just one of the good ones for sure. So I'm glad we were able to highlight it thus far. And so hopefully this isn't uh, the last time uh, for sure. Uh, so anyways, all right, guys, I'll let you guys back to it for real. I appreciate, I very much appreciate the time and you guys being patient with right, me. Man. Appreciate Thanks, it, man. Taylor. It was really fun. Yeah, man. Really? All right. Hopefully we'll see you down the road, boys.